The average price for a liter of gasoline in Alberta right now is listed at about a dollar sixty-one. That's the average in Alberta, and uh, doesn't look like we should be expecting them to go down anytime soon. You probably heard that OPEC met yesterday and agreed to cut production limit by 2 million barrels a day. Now, in reality, they haven't been producing to the limits anyhow, so in terms of real loss to the supply, it's probably closer to about a million barrels a day, somewhere around there. Regardless, it's a reduction, and it's going to further tighten things up, which will lead to an increase in oil already has, and ultimately that's going to lead to an increase in the eye-wateringly high gas prices we're already seeing. To help us make sense of what's going on, we have Dave Yeager joining us, an energy policy analyst, an oil and gas writer, and the author of From Miracle to Menace, Alberta, A Carbon Story. Dave, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. Uh, good morning. So OPEC says they're taking the action they took yesterday, the limit uh, reduction of 200, 2 million barrels, um, to stop the slide in oil prices. Well, it worked. I mean, oil has jumped right up to about 94 bucks. I, well, yeah, it worked. Well, that's the Brent price, yeah. It, well, it worked for the moment. Yeah. Uh, they always do that. Sometimes yeah. they talk up the price and, and so on. But I think uh, the day before, probably uh, a really important, uh, the CEO of um, Saudi Aramco was in a conference in Europe, and he said the world should be worried. Now, this was only in the business press, not the not the not the mainstream press, but the business press. When he said the world should be worried, what he was saying was that the world supply demand is really really tight, mm-hmm. and that, for example, should China uh, relax its COVID restrictions, or even if air, aircraft travel, airplane travel return to pre uh, pre COVID levels, another 1.7 million barrels a day. There was a real global supply supply problem, and, and that's all he was cautioning. He said, you know, the West has got to be thinking about this, and uh, they should really be encouraging the development of new supplies. That was on Tuesday, and then, of course, on Wednesday, uh, they dropped the bomb. And I guess the, the a remarkable part of that decision, it was, it was two and a half years ago uh, when they did that, in March of 2020, when they did the COVID lockdowns, that OPEC became OPEC+. Plus. And right, uh, yeah. so yeah. Russia joined. Russia, yeah. yeah, well, this is big. This is big. This is, <laughs> this is I mean, the Saudis were like 11 million barrels a day, and the Russians were 10. So all of a sudden, 20% of the world's oil production ended up in the hands of, uh, well, uh, Bar- uh, Barack, or uh, pardon me, uh, Biden was campaigning in 2020 and called Saudi Arabia a pariah state. And now everybody's calling Russia a pariah state. Well, mm-hmm. those two teamed up created OPEC plus and pulled 10 million barrels a day off of them and the rest of the members pulled 10 million uh, barrels a day off the world markets and in fact saved the world oil industry from collapse at that point. The whole business would have gone into the dumpster and collapsed entirely had they not taken this issue as initiative. At that time, nobody thought that was such a big deal. But on Wednesday, um, you know, prior state Saudi Arabia joined prior state Russia (laughs) And really, with all, I don't know other way to put it. I've been worrying about this interview about yesterday, but that's a big stick in the eye to the White House. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Let's, let, let's take a look at the motivation. OPEC Plus comes out and says the reason we're doing it is we don't like seeing this slide in the price of oil. I mean, right, it's yeah. still over ninety bucks a barrel. I mean, the slide is—it's all relative. I mean, oil is still doing very well. And then the other—I mean, this really benefits Russia. And you're right; it's a big middle finger to the White House. So why did they do well, it? They, well, Biden. I mean, I mean, I was just just trying to pick the right words here. But the the Biden's view on oil is is I don't know. The only word I come up with is incomprehensible. 
He campaigned against oil in 2020 because that was cool. You know, yeah. Trudeau's done yeah. that three times, sure. one, one of a bunch of elections. I get that. Cancels Keystone XL, first, his first, first act of uh, sworn on sworn in. But by, by a year ago, he was asking Saudi Arabia for more oil. He got amnesia about insulting them on the world stage. And on his way to the uh, climate conference in Glasgow, uh, at the G20 meeting, he said, oh, by the way, to Saudi Arabia, could you, could you increase yeah. production? Yeah. And at the same time, he he's extended an olive branch to Iran. We all know how popular Iran is right now for their treatment of the of the of the better of the fairer sex, if I can still say that in the 21st century. But his treatment of women and and human rights, and that of course angered Saudi Arabia, because those two countries have been at loggerheads over control of uh, political influence in the Persian Gulf. Uh, and then in the, yesterday, sometime yesterday, he was over back in Venezuela saying, well, come maybe if you guys you know treat the work, treat uh, elections more fairly, we'd let Chevron. Um, produce more oil. Well, they had Chevron on the stand <laughs> interrogating them for climate crimes a year ago. So I don't know what they're doing, but all I know is that uh, the people with 20% of the world's oil have, have have basically said, and then then there's the cap, the the price on Russian oil, which would affect, right, uh, yeah. affect world prices. And then there's draining the strategic petroleum reserve in a world that needs more oil. Um, White House puts a million barrels a day on stream. That sends a signal <clears throat> to the, all the oil producers in the world, what should I do as as producers do their 2023 budget? Saying, well, should I spend more or should I not? And, you know, in Canada, we've got the um, Wilkinson's out here offering an olive branch, but he says, you know, we're still going ahead with the, with the, um, uh, the emissions cap and ramping up the carbon price. And so, wow. I mean, I go back to the words from the, uh, from the head of uh, Aramco, the world should worry. The world should be worried. This is really, really something. It's uh it's it's bizarre. You're, there's so many different moving pieces. You're right, David. And, no I, kidding. And and I guess the question is, it's really tough to predict. But what we know is, it's going to cost us more. Bottom line, right? I mean, it's not getting any better. Well, I, I don't know what the you know how far your radio station goes, but I mean, Alberta and the rest of the world have never really done that well at the same time. If you go back that's in right, history, right. yeah. So I, I mean, it's 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 a it's a it's a global problem. It's a global, you know. They say is the world going into recession? Well, Europe probably already is, and so there's some real challenges coming ahead. I can't, you know, as, as challenging it may be at the gas pump for our listeners here this morning. I, I still can't think of anywhere else I'd rather be. We still have the that's lowest right. natural. We still have the lowest natural gas prices in the world. And uh, one of the reasons the prices in the pump are as high as they are is, is because of taxation, which can be adjusted should somebody be inclined to do so. Alberta's done that once and then reversed it because the price of oil went down. So I'm, of all the things in the world, I'm, I've, I think we should be worried about a lot more things than, than the price. In my view is, is at the price of the pump. In the end, we've got probably as cheap gasoline as anywhere in the world, certainly the world's lowest natural gas. Um, I, I'd be looking at where this goes geopolitically on the global scale on the on the front between Ukraine and Russia and what's really going on in the Middle East I think we've got bigger bigger problems than uh, than what we're paying at the local gas pump in my view anyway so what's your anticipation what is it that you're looking at and being worried about well I uh, I think that there's a real oil shortage uh, the, at some point the, they extended the, the strategic petroleum uh, reserve withdrawals uh, a million barrels a day were supposed to end this month now they're going on for another month and so that's going to that's going to tighten up. The, there's some attempt to do these sanctions of some sort. They're going to try to put some kind of cap on, on Russian production or, or sanction supply, and they're they're working through that within the yeah. reality. So the price of, the price of oil is going to go up. the The real problem is how long is it going to stay there 
because the last time that the world had high oil prices in the late 1970s and early 80s, and the same thing early this century when price oil hit 147 bucks in 2008, it was the it was the Western world that solved the problem. Shay, it was the it was the North Sea of uh, of Europe that brought on oil in the 70s and early 80s. It was the North Slope of Alaska and the Alaska Pipeline. It was the development of the oil sands. I mean that that capped prices in the 80s and held them down for 15 years. And then when prices went um, started rising again really high in 2005, it was Canada and the U.S., the shale boom in the, in the States and uh, oil sands in Canada that put on 10 million barrels a day and tempered the price. So the people that have solved the problem of high prices are are doing the weirdest, the funniest things, you know, yeah. uh, doing the most, making the most peculiar decisions. And we have that problem in Ottawa. We've got a government that's... That's, I don't know what they're looking at, but uh, the point is they're they're what me worries like Alfred E. Newman. Remember Mad Men? No, I know. What you're, yeah, and, yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah. It's kind of like we've got we're, we're at competing purposes here, and, and 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 in the end, it's the consumer who's paying the price for it. Uh, yeah, and I, I guess what we have to do, I guess what we have to do is wake up, wake up the public to. Uh, and I don't think of any other way to get it except to, at at the pump or through the wallets. But yeah, we got, we should be, we should be drilling. We should be looking at increasing production. We should be, we should realize what the problem is. They certainly are in Europe. I mean, they're making all the right they decisions have to, in Europe. Right? In the UK, they're they're opening up the North Sea again and reversing their uh, their views on whether we should hydraulic fracture for shale gas. And Germany's building LNG import terminals and everybody's firing up coal plants. I mean, the people are suffering. I, I guess the problem here in North America is that still, as although prices are high, we're still, compared to the rest of the world, we're insulated from mm-hmm. these prices, so we can, you know, we can pretend there's nothing serious going on, but this this, this will come uh, to hurt us all, because as long as it's, it's priced in, in uh, world prices or in U.S. dollars, at some point, I don't think, uh, with recent events, particularly this decision by uh, OPEC Plus yesterday, I don't see anybody seeing lower oil prices anytime soon. And then with winter coming in Europe, we don't know where gas prices are going with it. It's it's kind of spooky. I think I still don't see politically in North America anyway, the global security supply being the issue that it should be. And that's again, that goes back to what, what the CEO of uh, Aramco was talking about in Europe on, on Tuesday. He was talking about global security supply and global supplies of oil because what Saudi Arabia really wants to do is sell all the oil it can at a fair price for a long time. Yeah. And not, until they can't anymore. Well, until they can't, until the world replaces yeah. it. And yeah. in the meantime, we, it's pretty clear from, uh, from Ottawa and Washington that we've got, uh, Certainly, the, the the countries that have the ability to change to move the needle, not overnight, but over the long term, Canada and the U.S. I mean, the largest single supply of of oil and gas being intentionally withheld from the world markets for its own good here is in Canada, and so right now they're still they're still saying, well, yeah, the world's got a problem, but but it, you know it hasn't hasn't affected my popularity yet, and I, I just it'd be it's a shame that that the the world has to unfold this way. To, to get people yeah. focused on the bigger picture, that's all. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we see what it took in Europe. Uh, Dave, great insight. I always appreciate your time. Thank you very much.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.